group of men uh, from the foundry. I think there was 16 of us total, two guys that met us there. Uh, we went to a man camp, and it was a blast. Now, one of the rules of man camp is what happens at man camp stays at man camp, and all you guys are like, whew, all right, good. All right, I'm going to respect the rule. But listen, if you haven't already, sign up for next year. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, man camp. End of September next year, just go to mancamp.us. That will be on social media. That will be in the e-news going out this week and, and all that jazz. And I probably already emailed you. Now, also, I want to thank Christina for bringing the word last week. All right, thank you. Now, here's the thing. When Christina preaches, I'm always gone. But I do know, I do know that she loves to give homework. I don't know if it's because her teachers or her parents were teachers, uh, but she gave everybody some homework, and I would like to report back that several of you uh, did the homework, and it was kind of cool because people were telling me things, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't listened to the sermon yet, uh, but they're kind of private stories, so I'm not going to share, except for uh, I want to brag about Christina here for a quick second. She did her homework as well. Uh, last week, we got to spend a few days uh, with a few couples who were dreaming of, uh, of planning a church, and really, uh, Christina's job was to be nice and sweet. My job was to scare them, and so it fit perfect for us, uh, but it was all day, and I didn't realize how intense it was going to be for uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and, and we got talking to one of these couples, and, and I'm supposed to have like this list of like 50 questions. I'm supposed to drill them on and, and scare them. And all of a sudden, they just, they just broke down. Right? They, they had been through the ringer. And Christina, uh, obeying the promptings of God, she was like, let's just talk to them. You can scare them later. Okay, so, so we leaned into just talking to them. And really, when I say we, it was just Christina. She, she, she had the opportunity to pray for, for this wife who had been through it. Right? And sometimes churches can really hurt people, and that's where this couple was. And we're like, hey, we've been there too. Now, not here at the foundry, but we've been there too. We've been hurt. And so, so Christina got to really speak some love and grace and a little bit of truth. And so she did her homework as well. Tough and honest and hard conversations. I was proud of her. Right? So if you haven't done your homework... You still have time. The stories are rolling in, and I appreciate it. I also want to talk this morning. I want to start this morning by, by talking about something a little weird, and that's mailboxes. Uh, because Christina, she got me thinking, because uh, one of the guys that we were with who was on our team of interviewers, he was from the area where Christina's grandparents live and where Christina actually, her family, owns a farm to this day. And, and the thing I love about this farm is the mailbox. Doyle and Mary Lee Cook, her grandparents, they lived in the absolute middle of nowhere in a small town called Pennington Gap, Virginia. You go as far south as you can, and you go as far west as you can, where, where Kentucky and, and Virginia and Tennessee kind of all come together, and you still have a couple hours to go <laughs> up into the mountains. Middle of nowhere. And every day, Doyle, her grandpa, would walk the mile-long stretch of driveway to get to the mailbox. I think this was part exercise and part time just to, to be calm and, and not to hear her grandma talk nonstop. 
Christina takes after her. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Right? But this is how he got his exercise in. And one day, well, he got down to that mailbox at the end of the, uh, the mile-long driveway, and the ma- mailbox was laying on the ground. Now, now think of someone who had just hit it with their car in the middle of the night. He kind of grumbled. He went into town the next day. He bought a new mailbox, and he put it up, and everything was good. He looked at his handiwork, everything was good. He walked back down to the long mile drive and he felt good about the situation and about himself. A good day's work. Well, the next day he walked back down that driveway to get his mail only to see his brand new mailbox on the ground again. This couldn't be a coincidence, he thought to himself. And so he started asking around. And I don't know how you really ask your neighbors when they're like two miles in either direction of your house. But he went and they were experiencing the same thing. Their mailboxes every morning were laying dented and smashed on the ground. And so come to find out, a couple teenagers who live in the middle of nowhere and they're strapped for entertainment decided to have some fun. Right? One would drive, one would hang out the window with a baseball bat, not saying that I've ever done that. All right? not, not going there. But that's what they were doing. And so Doyle, her grandpa, got an idea. He went down to the local farmer's supply store, a rural king, if memory serves right. And if you went to man camp, you know what I'm talking about. So he got his bag of popcorn, and he bought himself a new mailbox, but he also went to the back where they kind of have rebar, and he asked the guy, hey, can you kind of bend some of this rebar, and in fact, if I pay you a little bit, can you come out and kind of weld this to the side of my mailbox? So we, we're just done messing around, is what Doyle was saying. So as he's sitting there eating his popcorn and getting this, this U-shaped mailbox protector in, I have a picture, actually, if you want to put that up there. This is what he ended up doing, all right? This is what he ended up doing on Homestead Drive, all right, right there. He made this U-shape. And once he did that, the guy came out. He welded that all up for him. (laughs) And listen, this is when Doyle had the most brilliant idea, I think, in all of idea history. This is where Doyle, this, this sweet, he's like this tall, this sweet little man, really highlighted his genius. He shot out the the light bulb of the street corner light so that at at the middle of the night, you you couldn't see the mailbox. He he took away the light. I mean, just genius. And he waited. Now, it took a few days, but one day it finally happened. He went down to that mailbox, and laying next to the mailbox was a splintered into 100 pieces baseball bat. Right, man, those kids must have had the surprise of their lives when they came across that mailbox, right? When they, they hit that thing, I bet their arm is still vibrating. <laughs> now, Doyle told me this story one of the first times that I visited them, and he had the grin of a, of a little boy who had outsmarted his bully when he got to that part of the story, especially when he was like, I'm taking out the light bulb, too, to really mess with their minds. Right? I, I was surprised there wasn't an arm still laying attached to that baseball bat. But what a brilliant man Doyle Cook was. Right? There, there are a couple lessons that we can learn uh, from this story. But the one that I want to focus today, uh, the most important one, is this. It's the importance of a strong build. Right? It's the importance of a strong build. The, the mailbox Doyle had before, uh, they were all right, weren't they? 
I mean, think about it, right? They, they did the job of a mailbox, didn't they? They were able to open. They were able to receive and, and send mail. They protected the mail from some bad weather. But when things really got tough, they just couldn't hack it, quite literally. Right? They just couldn't hack it. Right? Doyle needed a stronger mailbox, one with, with reinforcement, one that could stand up to any test that came its way. It, it reminds me of a, uh, another story that I once heard uh, about the library at Northwestern University in Chicago, right there on the shores of Lake Michigan. The, the story goes that the famous architect, uh, Walter Nitschik, designed this amazing addition to the library at Northwestern. An amazing and beautiful addition. It was beautiful and it had the latest in design features and, and all of the most modern amenities that he could include. There was only one little problem, the story says. Walter failed to account for the weight of the books that would be kept in the library. And so when all the books were put back on the shelves, the building began to sink into the sandy lakefront soil a couple inches each year. Now, I, I looked this story up, and I found that it's an urban legend around the, the campus of Northwestern that apparently a lot of colleges actually have this urban legend about their university in an attempt to try to seem smarter, maybe, than what they actually are. But the, but the lessons learned from this story and from Christina's grandpa, Doyle, are the same. Right? And just, just think about it. We're all building something. No matter our age. No matter where we are in our faith journey, no matter if we even have a faith, no matter what we're doing, where we work, what, what family we come from, what part of the world we come from, whatever it is, we're all building something. We're building a career. We're building an education. We're building a reputation. We're building a friend group. We are all builders. The real question, the onion we need to peel is this. What are we building what will what we are building stand the test of time? With what we're building, is it going to stand the test of time? Is it going to last? Is what we're building something that will, will it just get knocked down at the first sign of a, a bat in a teenager's hand leaning out? It's probably an F-150, let's <laughs> be honest. All right? Is it just going to crumble with a little bit of extra weight from some books? Or is what we are building going to last? Is, is that time I spend at work something that will be remembered when I'm gone? Is that, 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 mem that memory, those memories I'm uh, trying to strive for by spending all this money on sports and on clothes or whatever for my kids, will that get them through tough times in the future? Are the resources I, I have going toward a lasting, everlasting building? Or is it just going towards a building that's going to crumble with any tough wind, stiff or strong? Right? Our, our, our mission at the foundry is this. You hear me say it all the time. Guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. And that's how we here at this local outpost of the kingdom of God fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all these commandments as he has taught us. Right? So that's how we fulfill that. 
here with our, our local our collective potential, our, our, the God-given spirit in each of our guts, right? We guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Now, what you may not have heard me say that much is that that word forged, right, that we are, are talking about each letter, it stands for something. And you'll hear more about this in the new year, right? But that, that letter G in the word forged, it, it stands for growing as a leader we're following. As a disciple, we're all these different things, right? There's a lot of things at play. But for us, we have to understand that we are all leaders and we need to be growing as a leader who is worth following. And what we should be asking ourselves to see as we get to this letter, as we're thinking about leadership and all of our different spheres of influence, what we're building is how am I living a legacy? What am I building right now, right now? How am I living right now to build a legacy? How am I building something that will stand the test of time? How is my today affecting my tomorrow and the people around me and their tomorrow? Will what I am building stand the test of time? And so let me, let me zoom out here, Foundry Church. As we wrap up our series of sermons talking about the Sermon on the Mount, I think we'll find the answer to this question. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. You can use those Bibles, but you can also take those Bibles. Those Bibles are free for you to have, to take, to use. You can actually read the, they're like, they're good. They're, they're bigger letters. You can actually read them. So take them. All right? Matthew chapter 7. Now, we work our way through some of the, the mic drops of Jesus in his most famous sermon. If, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you today to read the entire sermon. All right, so write this down, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The entire sermon. It would only take you about 10 or 15 minutes, but there are so many great things in this sermon. Today we're, we're going to go all the way to the end of Jesus' sermon and see how Jesus wraps up his longest message. All right, so Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Starting in verse 24, it says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on what? The rock. And then the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Keep your finger right there. And in the version I'm reading, those verses start with everyone then, right? And if you're reading in the NIV version, it starts with the word therefore, therefore. All right, both of those phrases should make us perk up. 
right? Because if you're paying attention to Christina's sermon last week, you know that if we see the word therefore, we should ask ourselves a question when we're reading the Bible. What in the heck is it therefore, right? So you see the word therefore, ask yourself, why is it therefore, right? Because that's how we read the Bible. So let's go back just a few verses and see why it says therefore, right? Verses 21 through 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <laughs> Listen. I have to be honest, church. Right? Those are probably some of the scariest verses in the Bible. They just are. That's the scariest section of scripture in the entire Bible. Right? The idea that people could believe that they're all good. They, they, they got it covered. That they're all good. Believe that they are on their way to heaven. They're doing everything right. But Jesus does not know that. Terrifying. Right? It's like a, a man sipping on sand while he's stuck in the desert because he thinks he's holding a glass of cold water. It's terrifying. It's scary. And then there's this immediate thought when we read those, at least for me, when I read those verses, I'm like, am I one of those people? And it's followed up usually pretty quick by, well, surely I'm not. Right? I can't be. I'm here sitting in church. I'm doing the right things. It can't be me, right? Right? I mean, I, I can't go to hell wearing my church clothes, can I? <laughs> so if you're like me, when we read this section of Scripture, let's just take a deep breath. And let's look at what these verses really say. Let's take a good look at them. Remember, Jesus is wrapping up his sermon. He has spoken to them for a while now. He's called the band on stage to get that background music. And he has said some pretty amazing things. Right? We, we didn't call this series Jesus Mike Drops for, for nothing. Right? He, he's saying, don't just sit there and listen to all those things I just said. He, he's saying, don't be a person who nods your head and agrees and says, this is great stuff only to go away and not cut off your limbs, like he talked about, and not to, to cease in your lust or, or, or end the hatred towards your brother or renounce the love of money. All right? He's saying, don't just say, yeah, this is great, and then not do the things he's actually calling us to do. And Jesus is saying, don't listen to me and say amen, all that's good stuff, only to walk away and not forgive your neighbor, or to give up your anxieties, or to follow the golden rule. We gotta remember, Jesus, in this sermon, he's shouting, wake up! Wake up, disciples! Wake up! Right? The knowledge is not enough. The religion of the Pharisees, he's saying, is not enough. Hearing is not enough. There must be action is what he's saying. There must be doing. Yes, as the Bible says, we are saved by faith alone, but we are not saved by a faith 
that is alone. Right? Our faith will always come with an action. Our faith will always lead us to more, to taking the next step, to doing something, because we're enlisted into an army that has a purpose, that has a task. If it is real, if we have heard the gospel, and we get it down in here and we believe it, it's always followed by action. And if we do not do something, then we'll be like the man who built his house upon the sand. Which leads us back to that original passage that we read. Verses 24 through 27. Just let me read those again, and then we're going to break it, break it down. All right, so everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rain fell... And the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's just talk about these two guys really quick. Because they, they actually have a few things in common. We think, oh, they're just two separate dudes, two completely different guys. But they have a lot in common. First, they both wanted to what? They, they wanted to build the house. Yeah, they're both building a house. They were like us. They were builders. We're all builders. We are all builders of something. And this is not a story about those who choose to build and then some who choose not to build. Right? We all build. No, this is a parable that says everybody builds a house. We're all builders. We're all construction workers. If you heard the question I asked at the beginning, if you heard, well, what we are building stand the test of time, and you thought, well, I can check out now because I'm not building anything, right? I'm only 12, or I'm, I'm, I'm only, how old are you, Mom? <laughs> I'm only 70-something. I'm past that. We're all building. We're all building. You're building something too. Even non-decision maker, decisioners. I don't know if that's a word. Because this parable is also about making decisions. Even a non-decision builds a house and then we live in a non-decision built house, which isn't good. Right? If we were trying to decide, should I try out for a new team in the spring or should I try out for this musical or, or, or that job or this job or, or move here or do this with my family or take this next step, and you thought, well, I can't make up my mind, whatever the decisions are. And you go back and forth and back and forth, and then it gets down to the cutoff while you've made a decision. Even if you don't make a decision, you make a decision by not making a decision. And now you have to live in a non-built house, so to say. All right? You made a choice, and you decided to build a house with no walls and no foundation. We're all builders, and to build something that will stand the test of time, the first thing that we have to do is make a choice to take action. 
to be a good builder. We must build something because, as you'll notice, the other thing the two builders had in common is that they both experienced what? Storms. Weather. Weather. Man, I don't know about you, but I face weather all the time. I'm not talking about, uh, about the rain and the snow. Hopefully we get snow this year. We're talking weather. Wind. Waves, floods, things that beat on us, uh, that, just, that just pound on us. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that Jesus repeats the same words twice in this, this story? He said the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and then he repeats it for the second house. The rains fell, the floods came, the wind blew and they beat on that house. Listen, Foundry Church, I I don't think Jesus is implying that all storms are identical. They're not. We kind of dug into this a little bit at man camp. Not not all storms are identical. They're not. I, I think what he's saying is that every house faces a storm. Everybody faces a storm. This is not a parable about weather. This is not a parable about finding a place to build a house where there are no storms. Listen, church. Right? We got we to gotta lean in, and I want you to get this. We cannot run from the problems of this world. Man, we can't. I know we wish we could, but they're everywhere. <laughs> And Jesus promises it. Right? We're all builders, and no matter where we build, there's going to be a storm. There's going to be nasty weather. Everybody here is uh, affected by the negative realities of life, of decisions, of ministry, or family. It may not be the exact same experience, but, but one thing is true for all of us. We will get rained on. We're going to get rained on. Life's not always sunshine. Life's not always exciting. Uh, Life has its moments of anger and pain and confusion. (laughs) We all share the same vision. We want to build something. And we will all share storms. We'll all experience storms. So what is the difference? What are the variables that make one house stand up against this storm and one fail miserably? There's two. There's two different variables in the differences here. And there, are, there, are, there are two. The first is their nature. right? Jesus calls the first man a what? Circle it in your Bible. Right? A wise man. He calls the second man what? Yeah. Seriously, right? That, that word there in the original language is the word for foolish. It's actually the word for moron. Right? It's where we get the word moron from. And that's what Jesus is calling them. Right? Hey, there's a wise man, and then there's a complete moron. Right? Right? What makes the first one wise and the second one an idiot, a moron? Well, in the Bible, wisdom is explained as the ability to take, listen, get this. Right? You don't get nothing out of this, out of this sermon. Get this. Right? In the Bible... Wisdom is explained as the ability, and as Christ followers, not necessarily our ability. We don't have to have the ability. We can say, Spirit of God, lead us in this. 
Right? Right? So, so in the Bible, wisdom is explained by the ability to, to take divine truth and apply it to life. Just read the book of Proverbs. You'll see it in the first verse of the first chapter. Right? Right, that's biblical wisdom, to take and have the ability, the God-given ability, to take divine truth and apply it to life. The moron, the moron in the Bible is not necessarily the person who lacks information. All right, get this. All right, a foolish man, the, the, uh, breaking it down in the original, right? the moron is not someone who lacks information. They have the information. Right? It is the person who does little or nothing with the information they received. That's a moron. There's a difference. Right? You think, oh, I don't have the information. That's okay. God will give you the information. And then he will give you the power to receive it and to apply it. Right? It's not on us. It is on us if we say, oh, I got the information, but, you know, whatever. Right? You see, when Jesus is describing the men, they both have received the same information. They have both received the word of God. It is the action that makes the second one a fool. Or should I say the lack of action? Right? Now, look, we're all here today. We all have access to the same Bible. We all have, we've never been more, as a society, more, you can go from here today and listen to about a billion preachers who are better than me. You can listen to books. You have books out there. We have commentaries. We have commentaries from Bible scholars who are just like, from, from you know, the, the desert church fathers to modern day theologians. Like, we have all kinds of information. <laughs> We have all kinds, we can listen to all the different podcasts, like whatever. There's some weird ones out there. If you got questions, just ask me. Right, but we all have training, right? But it is in the doing that we'll be defined as wise or foolish, as a wise man or a moron. Stephen Mansfield, one of my favorite authors, he puts it like this. He says, ultimately, Though you only know who a man is and what he believes by what he does, not by, not by what he sits around talking about. Right? Action. These two men were fundamentally different. Don't get me wrong. They both had dreams. They both heard the words of Jesus. They both had storms. Right? On the outside, they would have looked like identical twins, but they were fundamentally different men when it came to building their life, not just their house. Right? Now, the, the next variable is in the foundations of what they were building on. One man built his house on the rock, and one man built his house on the sand, like we read. Right? And in the Gospel of Luke, when he's telling this parable, he includes a little bit of extra details. All right? So another Bible reading trick, if there's one story in the book of Matthew... And you can also read it in like one of the other Gospels. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are just four dudes who tell their, their account of what it was to be with Jesus and, and that kind of thing. So you can read their stories, but from different perspectives. And Luke, he's a doctor, so he's like, I'm going to put all the notes, all the details in this. In Luke chapter 6, it says that the wise man dug deep. That's a pretty... That's a pretty important detail. 
right? Because when I first read it, I'm thinking, oh, the guy found a nice little rock that was flat and level. Boom, house. No, but, but, but really, the doctor, he noticed, and on this guy, when Jesus said he dug deep, right? So think about this. It costs money to build on rock, doesn't it? Right? You can build on sand fairly cheaply. And we can go out here and build a house fairly cheaply just on the surface, right? But if, but if we want to get down to the, the bedrock, into the foundation, it's going to take some time, Right? It's going to take some work. It costs time and energy and effort and additional funds if you're going to go deep. You can, you can be quick if you want to stay on the top of the shifting sand. Right? The, the wise man is putting in his time. He's putting in the effort. He's putting in the work. Because the fundamental difference between the two men is in their work. Right? The second man, uh, the foolish man, the moron, was building a house for show. And so he didn't, he didn't want to work hard. He just wanted to have something to show off in the end and to do it quickly. And the foolish or the, the moronic man was not, not concerned about how long the house would be there. He just wanted to make sure for however long it was that there would be people there and they could drive by and they could look at it. But Jesus... The God that we're forging our life on wants something different for us. Jesus is looking at the foundation by which we're building, not the building. You see, sometimes we're prone. I don't know about you, but, but I am. I'm prone to think that we must, we must build a big and beautiful house to please God. It's got to be extravagant and, and just over the top. Sometimes we think that our lives had to be perfect before we, can, we, we come to God or that we, we aren't good enough for God. But Jesus says in these verses that hearing God and building your foundation on him is what is important. He's the one that starts the building process. He's just not the end. Right? Having God as the foundation is what we really need. Right? Anything else is just extras and fluff. Right from the, from the beginning to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it has been clear that Jesus is concerned about our hearts and what we will do when we let him change our heart. Jesus is concerned with our, our motives, with our thoughts, and what our steps we will take when we let him start to change those motives and those thoughts and our heart. Jesus doesn't just want extra fluff, right? You know when you go to like a restaurant and they put that like shaved parsley on that? It looks good. No substance, right? <laughs> right? It's just, it's just extra. He doesn't want the, uh, the fancy house or everything placed just right in our lives, right? I mean, sure, he'll take those things if we're just like knocking it out of the park, cool people, Right? But I don't think I've ever met someone who had it all together. Right? We're just honest. Right? Jesus is interested in you as you are right now, coming to him and saying, now today I'm starting over. I'm forging my life on you. I am building my house with you as the foundation. This is what he wants. That's what he wants. And listen, I'm going to zoom way the heck out here for a minute. All right? I'm going to zoom way out. I'm going to invite the band to start coming on up. 
But Jesus, listen, I'm just zooming way out. Jesus, our Lord, our God, you might be, hey, not mine yet. Okay, just listen. After he died, he goes into the grave, he comes back to life. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. And before he went back into heaven, he was with his disciples and he gave us a commission to all those who have forged their life on him and all those who will forge their life on him. He's including us here today right, to build their life on. He says, he says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey these commandments as I have taught you. Right? That's what our Lord wants. His last words to us, go tell people about me and get them to forge, build, right? To work on the foundation and not just the, the, the walls, but the foundation. And so this is how all this works. First, first we got to hear the story of God. Right? We, we hear uh, the gospel, and the gospel just means the good news. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the gospels, because it's the story of Jesus who is our good news. Right? And the story goes like, uh, like this. There's us, mankind, and then there's God. Right? There's us, and there's God. Everything's great. God created us to have a relationship with him, to live our best life, a life that is forged on him, a wonderful and a very, very, very powerful, get this, powerful, adventurous life in the garden. It's what we're created to live. But the problem is, the Bible tells us that the first human beings, a couple named Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. Now, the Bible calls this sin or the fall. And what it is, it's just it's separation from God. That's what it is. All right, let's not be too hard on Adam and Eve because I'm glad I wasn't in the garden. I would have made a smoothie. All right. Now, you've heard me say this before. Sin literally means missing the mark. It's where we get the word, it's, it, it, we get it from archery, that word sin, right? So you, you, you miss the bullseye. And there's a separation between where your arrow is, your life, your foundation, what you're supposed to be building, right, and where it should be, the bullseye. The right foundation. And just to be clear, that bullseye for us, for mankind, is God. But, but when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a separation. And they, they missed the bullseye, and it created a separation, a chasm between us and God. And the separation created, now listen, this is where God gets a bad rap, and this, let's clear it up, all right? The separation exists not because God hates us. That gap is not there because, because he thinks less of us. He's like, oh, you guys suck. You couldn't get a bullseye. You got a hundred of them. But on that 101st, you missed. No. It's just that God is perfect. He's perfect. And he can't be amongst sin. He can't be amongst 
the separation, right? He doesn't miss the mark. And just let's be honest, before we give God a bad rap, do we want to forge our life on a God who does miss the mark? I don't. And so the gospel, it continues, the story of God continues. Every human being, since Adam and Eve, they've disobeyed God. Now, most of us, we're self-aware enough. We know that we've added to the separation and the mistakes that we've made. So we assume, man, I can make it better. I can make it better. So we try to do things to get back to God, to close the gap. All right, we, we think, ah, man, I just won't cuss anymore. Or I just won't, I won't sleep around. Or I, I won't, I won't, I'll quit looking at that stuff on the computer. Or, or I'll quit beating her or whatever it is. Right? We, I'll, I'll just serve more. I'll do more in my community. I'll just be a good neighbor. If someone wants a hammer, by golly, they can have a hammer. Now, the Bible, it tells us that there's nothing we can do to close the gap, to restore our relationship with God. We can't run fast and make that jump. All right? We can't build a bridge. We just can't do it. Just be honest, right? How many times do you say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this right? And you do for like an afternoon. We make the gap bigger. You know, it's not, we just can't, we can't close it on our own. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark. We shot our arrow and we fall short of the glory of God. We can't get across the gap. In fact, we make it bigger like I said. And I get it. It stinks, doesn't it? It stinks. It's a big bummer, but it gets even worse because Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, for the wages of sin, because we added to the gap by missing the mark, it is death. It's death. Because of the, the separation we have added, we should be killed. It's a death sentence. We should be sent to death row. The Bible tells us that sin must be punished. We, we made this separation that, that this punishment is death or it's eternal separation from God and eternal life in hell away from God a life on the wrong side of the gap now I, I guys you're just zooming out here because I hate to admit this I hate to admit this, and again, I get it. This whole thing sucks. It's really, really bad. Separated. Never experiencing a life hitting that bullseye. A life forged, built on a foundation of rock, always being tossed around by the weather and the waves and the flooding and the storms, right? But never having a foundation to weather it, to stand in it and to face it. Always be beat down. And it stinks. Like I said, I don't like to admit it. But this is not the end. Right? Because the God that we forge our life on, he wants us to be free from hell, free from the sin that separates us and him. And listen, right? this, this should get you going here a little bit. Because we got to love this. 
He wants us to be free to live with him for all of eternity, to build our life on him, to forge a lifelong reliance on him, to build on a, a foundation of rock. And he knows we can't do it in our own strength, that we're just always going to make that gap bigger and bigger and bigger. And so what does he do? He provides a way for us to restore our relationship with him to close the gap. Because he's perfect. He hits the bullseye every time. God wants us, us, you, me, to, to wants us so bad to be free, to build on him, to, to build on that rock of foundation that he became human in Jesus. The son, God the son, and we're gonna celebrate in a couple months, came into this world as a baby in a barn with manure and stank. He says, you really shot your arrow in this place? You missed it that bad. It's all right. I'll come and I'll get it. I'll come and I'll get it, and we're going to put that arrow on target. He crossed the gap of separation that we could not cross. Jesus, he died in our place. Because he was unblemished. He was perfect. He was uh, the sacrifice that we needed in order to get across that gap. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, for missing the bullseye. And look at what it does. The cross is the bridge that gets us across the gap and restores our relationship with God. He blocks out the hell, that eternal gap, that separation from him. Now, let me be honest. It's not enough to know this. We just saw that in this story. The moron, I'm not calling you a moron. I know a lot of people who know this. Their house is on shifting sand. I know, I know a guy, I know a guy in the prison system. He could tell you tell him Zechariah chapter 2, verse 3, he would say it. He knows. It's all right here. So let me let me be honest. Right? We got to get it down into our hearts. We got to get it down into our guts. And that's what free will is. Right? We got to get it down here. We got to own it. We got to own it. And we do that by responding with some action. Right? When we hear the gospel, I just said it. Right? When we said it at communion, too. Right? The story of separation and Jesus coming to close the gap by his death on the cross. And then we got to believe it. We got to get it from our head down into our hearts. John chapter 3, verse 16. Everyone knows that one. It says, for, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Not just knowing it, but believing it. Down in our, our hearts, down into our guts. right? And then, so we hear it, we believe it, and then the Bible tells us to, just to repent. And all we do this naturally, don't we? Right In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. In James, it says, Confess right? so that you may be healed and forgiven. 
Right? We, we, we do this, right? Repent from the separation that we, that we made. Repent from the dirt that we got on us because we missed the mark and we shot our arrow into the mud over there. Repenting and saying, God, creator, father, the great I am, I am not. But I know I am. I've been doing things my way. And now I want to do things your way. I want, I want to quit being on a foundation of sand and be on a foundation of rock. It is, it is confessing, right? It, to, to say, man, I, I can't live my best life on my own. I, you have, I have to. I, I, I just not even have to. I am going to forge a lifelong reliance on God. I'm going to build on a foundation of rock. You repent of your old way of living. You confess that you're going to live for Christ. You you repent from adding to the gap by missing the mark. And you confess that you want Jesus to be your Lord and to live his life. And then you do what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, right? And it's, it's baptism where it says each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot there. The loop. We're, we're all in different places, and I get it, but it's living a life of action. Maybe you just right here, you're hearing it, and you really just need to ask God, hey God, help me to get it from my head to my heart. Help me to believe it. Whatever that looks like, Lord, help me to lean in. Help me to believe it. Lord, I confess to you. I repent, Lord. I repent, Lord. Lord, I'm ready. I'm going to meet you in the waters of baptism. Listen, it's it's not just something to do for fun. Holding your feet to the fire. It's not just something to do at your own convenience. It's not just a chance to go swimming at church or, or to have whatever. It's a chance... to to meet Jesus in the tomb of water and to come alive to a new life and to say, Lord, I will live my life for God and for God alone. I will live for him all all the days of of my life here on earth and I will be with him in heaven for all of eternity. Yes, like I've believed, like, you know, I can remember that time. I said, God, you're my Lord. It's you wanting to build something that lasts forever. Our life is forged on him. Make that decision now. Choose now to take that next step now. Listen, in the back of every other chair, there's a card. And on that card, there's a couple options. I want to be baptized. I want to talk about it a little bit more. Or I'm thinking about it, but I'm not there yet. Grab that card, fill it out. They're at the info center too. And listen, (laughs) had a conversation with a friend this week. It doesn't have to be next Sunday. On that card, it says next Sunday we're going to have baptism. That just means the water is going to be heated. (laughs) All right? You can do it today. You can do it on Tuesday. You can call me, call Christina, because my phone is on do not disturb all the time. (laughs) We do it the middle of the night. Or if you're thinking, man, I, I have it here, I have it here, and I need to get it here, and, and God's working on me. I just, I just need someone to, to sit with me as I process, as, as the Spirit of God's leading me. Maybe that's your step. Do it. 
do it. <laughs>